We're doing a series that we loosely based on uh, that old show called 24. I told you we're going to divide this uh, 24-hour period into 24 different messages. And uh, I was just kidding. We're only doing three, okay? Uh, I will take 24 hours to teach this one, though. Okay. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We've got popcorn for snacks later. So, okay. If you haven't been able to check this out, you can go to the uh, Church Center app, go to uh, the archives, and check out what we talked about last time was the morning hours. And uh, I know some of you are still gloating that you found out that you're among the, 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 the beautiful people who are the morning people. Can I see where those morning people are? Go ahead, show, go ahead, raise both hands because I know you're so excited about it. That's great. Yep. Um, my point whenever we got started in that is no matter what uh, your morning consists of, because you may have to do shift work or maybe you are in a particular time of your life when you need a whole lot more sleep and you get up at midday, whatever your morning is, the point of it was, can you figure out how to spend it in relationship with God so that you kick off your day in the right order because I still believe that each one of us I think either either you want this for your life or your mama wants this for your life because that's why you're here either sitting on a couch and she's forcing you to watch this in the online campus or she made you come today and uh, either way if it's you or it's your mama I think there's a desire to get to know God better and to move beyond play in church so that's what we're talking about is um we talked about the morning hours, but today we're going to be talking about the, the midday hours. Uh, most of us, in some way, will leave the house, whether we're working from home or you actually go to a place of business or you go out and interact with the world. Now, the majority of what I'm going to be telling you does assume that you are interacting with people whenever you leave the house. And some of you is like, I do everything within my power not to interact with any human being while I'm gone. Amen. Amen. See? Yes. And yet, we are told to be salt and light. And salt doesn't do any good whether you're trying to melt ice or trying to season a steak unless you get that salt out of the salt shaker and up next to the thing it needs to affect. And believe me, I've told you this all along through all the years. Uh, Full-time ministry, uh, church ministry would be very easy if it were not for people, Okay. Y'all are not catching my jokes today. I don't know. I mean, it is a joke, but it's also true. It would be way easier if you just made stuff up as you went along. But you and I are a colossal collection of moral fallops. We've got rough edges. That's why there's more than 50 times that it's told us in the New Testament to try and figure out how to get along with one another, to, to be patient with one another, to make allowances for each other, to forgive one another, to help one another. We all need this help. But if you're going to be salt for Jesus, if you're going to make the world a more savory place and uh, less tasteless, if you're going to be light, you don't uh, you know, turn on a new LED bulb lamp and then put it under a bucket. That's an updated version of what Jesus said. Just wanted you all to know. He didn't talk about LEDs. But there needs to be some way that you are intentionally interacting with people who are not here today. Because remember, here we go. We belong here. We is greater than me. And we are not just suggested. We are commanded that we, we go. So if you have any sort of work, or maybe, maybe you're in school, and uh, there's not always a, a wonderful opportunity, you know, whenever you're in class, but um, 
you need to engage with people uh, about Jesus at some level. And I'm going to show you what I've found uh, to be true and uh, what is effective and also to help you avoid being annoying because Jesus didn't call us to be annoying. He called us to be, he called us to be loving and to help meet needs. The reason I want to talk to you about this is I've been a Christ follower for over 50 years and what I've found is that through those times when I was in college or I was working uh, in, in a job uh, in my early adult life that wasn't church related, uh, just all kinds of things, there's a tendency to want to compartmentalize our faith. And I've described it this way, we often envision our life as though if, you, uh, if, it's, if it's a pie chart, we have this slice, and, and that is we have the work slice, or we have the sex slice, or we have the family slice, or we have the money slice, and then we have the God slice. That is not what Jesus spoke of. That's why he said things, unless you are willing to you know, give up everything, then you can't really follow me. Uh, he said no man who puts his hand to the plow can look back and wish for that and plow a straight line. He was hyperbolic, just like all Jewish teachers would have been at the time whenever he said, the kind of love that you have for me, once it gets fully developed, is going to feel like you hate everybody else. He didn't indicate, there's no way to interpret that, that you should go around hating people because you love Jesus. What I interpret from that back to the pie chart is, we want to think of all these different slices because that feels better. I can kind of control that. I can kind of control the little bit of, you know, the God slice and the home slice. <laughs> I love that. Just looking for a home slice. Just trying to figure out how do you slip that in there? Because um, you know I am extremely street. Um, um, yeah. Okay. What I have come to understand is that God says, I just, I don't want to be a slice out of your life because you're misunderstanding. I am the pie plate in which all of the slices of your life reside. And it's such a huge, it's a huge shift in the way that you think. Because I want you to know that coming to Jesus is one of the simplest things you can possibly do. People like me have made it extremely difficult through the years. But Jesus simply started it off in every relationship. He said two words, follow me. That's it. He didn't put any prerequisites on it. He just said, follow me. And in the practical everyday life, when he was walking around here on earth, what he was saying is, come listen to what I have to say and think about what I'm telling you. Am I telling you the truth? C.S. Lewis, you know, he kind of surmised it down to this, or summarized it down to this. He said, if that's true, then it's either he's telling us the truth, he's lying to us, or he's out of his mind and doesn't know what he's doing. He's either Lord or he is lying or he is a lunatic. What will you say? Because if you follow him long enough, you will come to a crossroads in which you have to decide. And by not deciding, you're deciding. I'm saying that following Jesus is very easy and accessible. And I want everyone to know that. But I also want you to know, and perhaps I don't stress this enough, you cannot follow Jesus without allowing him to change your life. He may change it a little bit at a time each and every day over the years. 
Or he might ask for a radical commitment along the way. But if you are following Jesus and you're saying, I do believe that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you said you will do. If you're not changing, I'm not sure that you know Jesus. And I'm not trying to threaten you. I'm just saying, if you look at his teachings and you try and align your life with that, if you say, you know what, Jesus, you are asking something that requires a great deal of faith. And he's going, you think? Since he said that's where life is, 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 is trusting me. You've got to make a change. There will be a change. It'll change your language. It'll change your money management. It'll change your relationships. It'll change so many things. And I will also say, because I look around the room and there's a ton of people who are suffering. I know people who are at home because they're suffering right now. You go, but I can't seem to interweave the things. It's like I felt like I, I followed Jesus and yet life is still going sideways. Yep, did for him too. Because he did not come to promise us a wonderful life now. He said, if you come to me, I will give you life everlasting. And it begins right now. Because honestly, after spending so much time following Jesus, the only way to make sense, in my mind, out of the suffering and hurt that we have to go through, the only way that makes sense is what Jesus said. And that is, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will never die. Meaning that there's not an end to this story simply because y'all are having my memorial service. Which, by the way, I have two or three songs I really want y'all to sing at my memorial service. I'm not planning anything. I'm just saying I've already got the service planned. I just want y'all to know that. It's tough. It's tough following Jesus, but it's worth it. I'm just telling you. So don't compartmentalize. That wasn't even in the notes. You got extra stuff. Here's what I've noticed after being a teenager who followed Jesus, young adult, you know, um, and now, you know, senior adult. I hate that. I actually can park in the parking spots at City Market and stuff like that. A lot of you guys do it and you're not even there yet. You need to get right with God. That's what you need to do. No, what I've noticed as you follow Jesus, there's a tendency for us all to compartmentalize, or I guess you could call this message, uh, do not pick and choose. Because we have a tendency to say, you know, I think I'll pick to act like a Christian here, but then I'm not going to act like a Christian over here. That's like on again, off again. Jesus is, yeah, he didn't call us. It, it's kind of like that old, old uh, TV show, Will the Real Christ Followers Please Stand Up? like what am I now am I good I, it's a variation on uh, on you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas it's like what happens at church stays at church some people I've noticed and I, I have done this a time or two in, in my past and that is you get a spiritual high at church but then whenever you head off to work head off to school all bets are off and it's driven by fear or ignorance I don't know what it is but it's just like hey it's Monday uh, the real world hits. We're no longer in, you know, la-la land with Jesus. Um, I'm going back into the marketplace. It's dog-eat-dog. Dog. It's everything. You know, it's my agenda. It's my ambition. It's my pride. I got things I got to take care of. What a difference a day makes. But if we're, if we're not going to let Jesus change us, then what's the point? I say that a lot, but that's, that's where I live. Now, is living that way easy? Heck no. Is it worth it? Absolutely. But I want to help you uh, get your head around this. And so I'm doing an object lesson and we're going to see how it works. 
Y'all, you ready? Okay. Uh, what I need you to do is to put on your thinking cap, your uh, imagination, and that is this sweet backpack is your life, okay? Your, 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 your life in Jesus, okay? So you've said yes to Jesus. You have a backpack. And, uh, you know, I could really extrapolate because this is actually a camelback uh, which means, you know, Jesus is the water of life. I, I, I could go, I could go all, I could go so many different directions on this. But let's just say that's, that's your life. Now, based on what we talked about last week in this kind of re- review, and do y'all know how hard it is to find a megaphone in this town? You have to make your own. But you know what a megaphone is. Hello, hello, hello. Okay. I told you that as you start your day, you want to shout it. Okay. I love you, Jesus! Okay, there's the idea. Is you've got your megaphone. And, and, and that's, that's part of how you connect with God. And thank you, Leanne, for going to so much trouble to make this megaphone. I'm about to, I'm about to bust it up. Okay, so my megaphone goes in there. Okay, that was the shout it. Y'all with me so far? Okay. The next part of it is, and you remember I told you it had to do with hot shower because that's whenever the, the, warm, uh, the warmth of, of being loved by God, it, it just showers down, you know, all that. That was impossible to put in the backpack. So we're translating that into this is my favorite blanket at the house. If you find me in my uh, Captain America pajamas, it'll be right under this, this blanket, okay? And I got new Captain America pajamas for Christmas, I'm just telling you. So here you go. Um, mm, you're feeling the warmth of his love that he is for you he is not against you and you can uh, always remember that so everybody everybody good you shout it and then you feel it and let's see if we can wow it's like what'd y'all do well I want to God just fold a blanket all morning long okay so you put that in the backpack too okay because that's yeah the megaphone is now no longer a thing <laughs> The next one, you remember it, was, was hear it, to hear God's word, which <laughs> reads a lot better this way. Um, but you have God's word, and you, you eat a little bit of this, you hear God's word, uh, and he tells you the truth even when the world is lying to you. And you have that in your life, because this is your life, and this is your faith. And then the best I could do, and I love this, it says, thank you. This is when you, it's you and God having a little time because it's not only you listen to what he has to say but he encourages us to talk to him and to tell him uh what we need and to give him praise to ask for what we need so that that's that's the say it part so there you go for those of you who love to take a nap about this time you're free to go okay so this is your life this is your faith you have it with you you have all four of those things that we talked about you shout it, you feel it, you hide it, you speak it. It's your faith. What I've just told you is you worship him, you experience him, you listen to him, you talk to him. Everybody tracking with me? Okay, good. Since you've loaded up what you need and you're going out to get into the real world, here we go. What happens is it's finally time for you to leave the house and go to the rugged plains of reality where not everybody is like in, in, uh, in harmony with what, uh, what you just did. What are you supposed to do? Because it's easy to talk about um, how do I fill up my life. I just gave you really good stuff. It's, it's the basics, but you can see it uh, 
played out in practically every page of the New Testament. But the question then becomes is, what am I supposed to do with this? What do you do with your faith relationship with Jesus? Some of you leave it at the house. You get it all packed up, but it's just like a lot of things with me, because I'm getting to the age where I forget. It's like, oh yeah, I just left it, went on about my business. Some of you do that intentionally, because you think that's the way it's supposed to be, which I told you in uh, messages a few weeks ago. That's country music. That's, that's the way country music deals with faith in Jesus. Maybe some of you make it as far as you take it and you put it in the car. I mean, whenever you get in, you throw it in the back seat. And then whenever you get out, it's like, well, yeah, it's out there, but I'm still in here working. This is good. Some of you is like, well, you know, somebody might walk by and look in the car. Like, ooh, look at them. They're a Jesus freak. Better put that in the trunk. So, put that back there. It's like, I still have it. still mine. My name's all over it, and I'm sure thankful to you, Jesus. Some of you do walk into your job and you keep it on, but you put it in the locker and you do it as quickly as you possibly can. But what if, what if you figured out a way to actually live this way 24-7 even whenever you walked in to work? What does that look like? What if this idea of being in a right relationship with Jesus and letting him lead and convict and encourage. and all. What if you lived that way that it literally invaded every aspect of your life? What would it look like if he invaded your bank account? Can you trust him with that? Can you trust him with your marriage? What if you allowed it to influence everything that you do, including the ways that you think? What if you actually looked at your own thinking and said, you know, just because I think it doesn't make it true. What if my thoughts were actually guided by what Jesus said is true? What if it influenced the way that you feel about people? What if it influenced the, the way you actually treat people? It is very personal, but it is also very relational to know Jesus. He came to save you and everybody that you lock eyes with. So just real quick, how do you take it with you? How do you shout it, feel it, hide it, speak it? But how do you also, you might want to write this down. How do I, there's no blank for it. I'm just saying, how do you also live it instead of leave it? So let's look at that. Live it. How do I put my faith in action? Well, we all know that the litmus test of being a Christ follower, that's actually stated in Scripture. Jesus said they'll know that you're mine by the bumper stickers that you have on your car. Everybody knows that Jesus said they'll know that, they, that you're a Christian by the kind of music that you listen to. Oh, no, no, no. That's not it. Jesus said they'll know that you are mine by the way that you vote. <laughs> I love being an equal opportunity offender. 
the litmus test for following Christ isn't how you talk it, it's how you walk it. And I don't mean walk the walk, I mean walk his walk. And a lot of times there is a difference. No, what Jesus said, they'll know that you are mine by the way that you love. You don't have to know Greek, Aramaic, or Hebrew to understand what he said. They'll know your mind by the way that you love. Because he said, if you experience my love, you're going to love differently. You will never be the same. That's why I say, if you're following Jesus, it's kind of like, I used to have to mess around with electricity. We won't talk about why. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying, if you latch on to a 220 line, you will walk differently after that experience. Okay. It's not something that you can hide. It has to do with why I don't have any hair, but we won't talk about that. Um, I'm saying, if you are experiencing a relationship, and I often think of it because I'm not married to Jesus, I'm married to Leanne, but it's, there's an intimacy in the relationship of the very best friend. Because I have experienced Leanne as my friend and my lover and my partner and all those things, it shows on the outside. It, God, you know, they say that the longer you live with somebody, the more you, you look like them. Y'all pray for her because that's awful. <laughs> I'm sorry, babe. I'm sorry. Amen. Yes. As Jesus said this, he said the inside's going to show on the outside. He said uh, when he was teaching, he said, yes, the way to identify a tree or a person is by the kind of fruit that is produced in that tree. How do you know that it's a pear tree? Because pears keep coming out. <laughs> That's what it is. And no matter how much you go, boy, I sure wish we had some oranges. It's not going to come out an orange because it's a pear tree. Okay, what is showing in terms of your character and your uh, expression of love? Is your love looking more like Jesus? Because it's, it's indicating what's on the inside, what keeps coming out on the outside. Now, like I said from the get-go, what I'm talking about, this part is not easy. The starting to follow Jesus and ask those questions, easy, very accessible. But when the going gets tough, and believe me, there is tough stuff, real world stuff that you have to deal with each and every day. It is not easy. I say it flippantly, but it's like if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Following Jesus over the years has been a tough gig for me. Because I want to live for him, but there are times it's like I just want to be in control. And he's like, but you need to let me lead. Drop in the backpack. Common. We think of it, though, like this. We think that dropping the backpack or leaving it in the trunk or whatever has to do with dropping my faith and, and Jesus has to do with, well, that means I'm, I, I went and committed adultery or I went and stole something and now, now I'm a thief or I took someone's life. That's what it means to drop the backpack. I'm like, well, yeah, that's included. <laughs> but the reality is... Dropping the backpack looks like everyday stuff. It, because dropping the backpack is not rebellion. It's neglect. Oh, I'll get around to it. Or I'll do that tomorrow. We compartmentalize. We live our lives sometimes like a, a TV dinner. 
Like I said, we've got the, the God stuff over here and then the work stuff over here and the personal. And that, don't live that way. Instead, I say, let's just like growing up into a responsible adult means taking care of your own stuff. You worry about your own stuff. That means don't leave it lying around for somebody else to have to take care of or pick up. Do that same thing with your faith. Have a grown-up faith. Don't set it down and leave it and then forget where you put it. Actually, that hurts because I lose practically everything I've got. <laughs> Recognize when and where you are most likely to forget it and, and, and sometimes we strategically leave it somewhere. Having a 24-7 life with God, walking with God every day, it's intentional. We're moving from self-dependence to God-dependence. It's, it's a habit and we get into it. So, do an inventory. I suggest this to you. I'm going to help, but do an inventory of where you are most likely to set down your life of faith and forget that you put it there. Write that down. Bring that into the light of truth and say, that's what's happening with me. And work on that. And uh, you need to figure out what to get rid of, what bad habits, and what to hold on to. But don't put your back, back down and leave it because... What you want to do is avoid the chaos and the confusion. You want to win at this. And so I'm trying to help you get the most out of your relationship with God. So here, here's a list of things that I've noticed in my own life and the life of others. This is where I'm most likely to set it down. Set down my faith. Uh, and, and, and what this is going to help you with, hopefully, is consistency. Uh, here, here's a way to do an inventory of your days with God. Paul wrote to his friends in Corinth and he said, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. He is here. And if not, you've failed the test of a genuine faith. Hmm. That smarts a little bit. Here's one of the things I've learned is one of the times that you and I are most likely to set down our faith and leave it out of our situations is when integrity is required. The idea of integrity, y'all, is this idea of it all being one, not compartmentalized, but it's all integrated. It is there together. Okay? But I know this because I've practiced it and I'm sorry to say I've repented. I mean, I'm not sorry to say I repented of it, but I have repented of it. The story we tell ourselves after we've come to know Jesus, but integrity is required, but we're not sure we want to go there. We say, you know, whatever the temptation is that we want to, to, to do, but God's saying, no, stay away from that. What we tell ourselves is, you know what? Nobody's watching. I can get away with this. And then, and this is awful, but this is the way church people do. If somebody does notice that I stepped outside the lines that I said I was supposed to live within, I'm just going to pull out my Christian card and say, God is gracious and God is good. And, and, and we believe in forgiveness. That's right. That's what we do. Which, if we live like that, makes a mockery of what Jesus had to say. I, I, it's like, I'm not cutting close enough to the bone yet, so hey, let's go ahead and do some more. Do any of these situations sound familiar to something you may or may not have experienced? You go out for a night on the town with friends and coworkers, And the funniest thing is you did not bring your backpack with you at all. You left it. God's nowhere to be seen because you know you accidentally left it back at the house. 
You kind of slipped off that backpack of faith so that you could more fully laugh at a racial joke or a sexual joke. Because you didn't want to fill out a place. And besides, you know, backpacks like this are not very fashionable. They don't go with all your shoes. You're late to an appointment because you procrastinated. But you leave your backpack in the car and tell everybody, well, it was a situation I just couldn't avoid. It was just, I was just, it happened. Nothing I could do to make it better. You're on a business trip or you're out of town for some reason and you start flirting with somebody because you left your backpack back at the hotel. The reason I want us to feel those kinds of things is because integrity and our faith are interwoven. They're they're connected. And if you're trying to walk with Jesus 24-7, it's not just about a belief. It's not a set of beliefs. It is literally a practice and a relationship. If you compromise your integrity, it means that you are compromising some aspect of your faith as well. This has always been true in our relationship with with the God of the universe as he has revealed himself in 1 Chronicles over in the Old Testament... <clears throat> the prophet said, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts. That means that God knows you inside and out, good, bad, and ugly, all the time, when you're at church, when you're not. The prophet says, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and you rejoice. You rejoice when you find integrity there. When the inside matches the outside, the outside matches the inside. The the Proverbs, uh, book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 20, he says, The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but he delights in those with integrity. Every day, you and I, by the choices that we make, we get to choose either detest or delight. Detest or delight. Now remember, this has to be couched with the fact that God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. So whenever he says, don't do this, he's not trying to keep you from something that's good. He's trying to keep you away from something that is bad, that will hurt you and harm you, and in no way will bless you. But if you've ever had kids, you know that they look at you when you say, do not go past this line. Because that line is like traffic or something. I'm just saying... Don't cross this line. And if you are a good and healthy parent, you say, don't cross this line because the underlying couched idea is, I love you and I don't want you to get hurt. And your child, son or daughter, will look you in the eye and go, and you're the same thing. You do the exact same thing with a loving heavenly father. And until you grow up enough to where you go, well, maybe he actually did have my best in mind. Yeah, he did. You get to choose, detest or delight. If you are able to spot your own potential trouble areas, your trouble spots, 
When integrity is required, then do something about that. Get a partner. You say, I still don't understand how that works. Come to celebrate recovery. Those are some of the things that you actually learn. Here's another one. Kind of related, but the same, not quite the same. And that is when money's involved. <laughs> when money's involved. Yeah. Greenback. Moolah. Dough. Dinero. You can say it in any language, but all of us. That's the reason why Jesus spoke about money far more often than he spoke about heaven. Because it is a crazy, crazy thing. It's kind of a sub-point to integrity, but it's the power of money is so crazy it needs its own thing. And the financial cost of being a person of integrity is huge. I just know from having lived it and seen it in other people's uh, lives as well... A lot of people are willing to drop their backpack of faith in order to make another buck. That's when it's very easy to rationalize that we need to compartmentalize our faith. Because if I do that and not get too radical, don't want to be too much of a Jesus freak, I can make a little bit more money. I'm talking about under the table deals. I'm talking about intentionally not being accurate on reports. I'm talking about investing in companies that don't reflect the faith that you have and the direction you want to go because it has a higher ROI. It has to do with selling goods and services to people that you, as a good salesman, know they don't need, but you want to sell them anyway because it will help you. I'm talking about smearing a, a, a coworker or a colleague's reputation so that you get the sale and they don't. I'm talking about cheating your family out of you because that's what will last. But you cheat your family just because you have an unbridled ambition to be the best, most successful financially, at least, in your field. These are very real things that I have encountered in people's lives, including my own. Hear me when I say this. Money ain't the problem. You can go and look at lots of people in Scripture, including even going back as far as Abraham. Abraham was loaded, man. If you can raise an army from your own family corporation of 320 people, you got quite the payroll, man. There is nothing wrong with being wealthy. Jesus never said there was a problem with money, he said straight up, he said the love of it is what gets you into trouble. It's that because it causes you like, I cannot run fast enough after the almighty dollar with this backpack on. I got to shed that so I can go get this. That's why Paul said to Timothy, he said, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many arrows. He basically says, if you don't do this right, it's going to be like you poking a sharp stick in your own eye. Don't do it. It's not worth it. The end payoff is not what you think it is. Because money in the hands of someone who refuses to drop their backpack can do amazing things. I've seen people with an enormous amount of resources and then they marshal them for making the world better and making it look more like the kingdom of God. It's an amazing thing. 
Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, those who love money will never have enough. They once asked one of the very rich men of my childhood, I can't even think of his name, doesn't matter, I'm old and I won't remember that you told me. Um, <laughs> they asked him, how much money do you need? And he said, just a little bit more. And he had more money than anybody on the planet. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. I am in no position to pin anybody to the wall on any of that. What I am saying with some authority, and that is, watch out. It can sneak up on you so easily. And a lot of times, I've had people uh, send me uh, you know, an email or whatever, and it's like, Preacher, you really cut really close to the bone with the message today. It's like, do you, are you, are you a stalker? So they asked me. Because you said stuff, it's like a conversation that me and my wife had. Or they're like, no, it's like I live in the real world like everybody else. You are terribly unique. Your circumstances, not unique in the least. Nope. I don't see your financial reports. I don't bug your house. What I would say before I leave that part is, if any of what I've just said about your integrity or, or, or where money's involved, if any of that rubs you the wrong way, that's not me. That's actually the God who loves you trying to get your attention. Okay? So dropping the backpack to make more money is killing your spiritual life. And if you're not careful, it can literally kill you. Did you know that the fourth most common motivation for suicide is mismanaged money? It's just not worth it, y'all. Not worth it. Okay, that goes on to the next one. And that is another place where, uh, where you have a tendency to put down the backpack is when the pace of your life is rushed. When the pace is rushed. You know, in my lifetime we have... Do you know that it was in 2007 that Steve Jobs uh, announced this. This one device has changed the whole complexion of the way the human race relates to one another. In and of itself, the tool is not bad, but it has been used for some pretty bad stuff. On the upside, it allows you to do things you never dreamed you could do, which means that your RPMs get faster and faster and faster. You know, because my mom, my mom used to point out, she's like, you know, whoever invented the vacuum cleaner, they sold it under the guise like, you're able to get the house clean much quicker. Well, then what do you do with the extra time? Well, then you fill it up with more work. Okay, if we take that to an nth degree and you can get more work done, what are you doing? You're just going faster and faster and faster and faster. And most, most of us, and me included, um, you find that you're running so fast that on the days that you have off, you don't even know what to do with yourself. The part that bothers me is that if you're not careful, if the RPMs get to be so high, then you have no time for your faith. You hurry, and, and all you have left is your fatigue. I'm just here to tell you, I can't find in God's word that hurry and fatigue are supposed to be in God's plan for your life. Because hurry and fatigue actually choke your relationship with God and others. It also means that you are so going so fast, your compassion, your ability to express compassion to other people, your compassion tank is tapped out. Your ability to connect in life-giving relationships is crippled because of things like this. We're going to talk about that here in a couple of weeks. I think we're going to call it, What Would Jesus Post?
We're going to have fun with that. <laughs> if you are ambitious, be careful that your next accomplishment doesn't wear you out so much that you can't give what God's asked you to give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Because if you do live a fast-paced life, you are in danger of there will be no energy, there will be no space, there will be no freedom, there will be no margin to be able to relate to God and practice compassion like He wants you to. Because just stop and think about it for a minute. If you're too busy for God, you're too busy. Because He is the source of your life. And if you, that's like cutting off your nose to spite your face. And if you're too busy for God, then you literally have no time to serve or help other people. Get your proper rest. That's actually in Scripture. Focus on the, the one thing that's important. Don't get ahead of God. Don't lag too far behind Him. Stay at His pace, not your pace. This is what Paul said to his friends in Galatia. He said, since we live by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, let us keep in step with that Spirit of God. The only way you keep in step with someone is you know them and you walk with them. You only have one life. Make the tough choice. Spend your energy day by day with God. Start your day with Him. Figure out a way to walk with Him during the day. And if there are, 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 are pitfalls that swallow up your faith, figure that out. Don't, don't drop it. Don't leave it. Keep it with you. Keep living that way. Find some traveling faith companions and have honest talks about this. You say, how could I start that? Well, not only CR, on the, the Church Center app, there's a discussion question after every message that I give. You could get with two or three people, have another cup of coffee, talk about what you heard. If somebody didn't make it on Sunday, have them listen to it. And those questions will help you say, how do we live this out? That it's just getting honest and say, we help me. I want to get it right. I want to finish well. Y'all getting anything out of this? Yes. Okay. Shout it, feel it, hide it, say it, live it, and give it. I love this. Live it and give it. Say it and spray it. Just come on. In other words, I not only... Uh, <clears throat> want to make my faith active, I want to communicate it. You share it. You express it. We have been raised to believe in, um, in American culture, the two things you don't talk about in a group is uh, religion and politics. Well, so much for that, because everybody thinks, yeah, it's all we ever talk about. And you have to understand where I'm coming from. I have so much church experience, y'all. I have so much. I, I can outdo anyone in this room. Honestly. Because from the time I was 11 till the time I was 22, I was in church every day. And I do mean every single day. 40 weeks a year. Every day. Come on. Anybody? Come on. <laughs> I'm a fourth generation pastor. I once told God I would never be the... Pastor of a church, don't want to be on a church staff. It's just, it's toxic, don't want to do it. I've, I've been around uh, theologians, I've been around uh, seminary professors and pastors, and oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm just so much spiritual stuff. If you hang out in that, you can become so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. I know all the sayings, I know all the jokes, I can tell them all. And along with that, because I used to go to church, and many of you feel the same way. What we do at Rock Springs is relax compared to what we used to do. 
Because you used to have to come to Sunday school, then you go immediately into church, you go get lunch, maybe take a nap, watch the Dallas Cowboys because they were the most godly NFL team at the time, and then you'd be back at church at 5 o'clock for training union, and then 6 o'clock for evening worship, and then if you were a good Christian, you'd stay for choir practice. And then you'd show up on Tuesday to do visitation in the name of Jesus. And then on Wednesday, you'd be there for, this is where I'm getting to, if you were a real Christian, you would do evangelism explosion. Or you would do uh, uh, continuous witness training. You knew Bill Bright as though he was your friend. You knew the four spiritual laws. If you died today and you had to stand before God, can you tell him any good reasons why you should be in heaven? I can do it all. I can do the Roman roads. I can even do it upside down. I mean, I'm not upside down. I just know you could actually mark your Bible upside down with the Roman road. And that way, if you were showing somebody in Scripture, you knew exactly that's where it takes I'm just telling you. You say, what are you saying? That, you should, that, that evangelism explosion, EE, is a bad thing? I'm not saying that at all. You say, the, 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 aren't there four spiritual laws? Yes. Is the Roman road a good way to help? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I could come up with the four happy hops to heaven. I could... As I said early in this message, I do not see any example where Jesus said you're supposed to be annoying to people. Have, you, have I ever done street evangelism? Yes, I have. Not in America. Our culture is not very receptive to that. And I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying that's not where it works. But there are other ways to help people know Jesus in this culture. That accosting strangers on the street is not the full measure of your spirituality. I do believe in it. I try to live it. Live it and give it. Say it and spray it. Figure out ways to get this good news out. And I'm just telling you, in my experience, in our community here in Cortez, the best way is to love people unconditionally. And to step in to help them in uncommon ways so that whenever they look at you after the project is done... And you might have to do it three, four, five times. They will eventually go, why do you do that? Which gives me the opportunity to say, because that's the way Jesus loves me. I want to love you that same way. I'm saying you need to be an audio-visual Christian. You need to be able to speak it. And you need to be able to live it. Don't get so arrogant. Just like, well, I live so great that people are just going to bow down and worship Jesus because I have such a good life. You go... You think I do that? I know I used to. I used to think because I am so overwhelmingly handsome that I am... Amen. I don't know why people laugh at that. I am very persuasive. I know the Bible and I live a very clean life that people should just be flocking to me. Nope. What I have found is you go through troubles in life and you keep going back to Jesus and saying, I don't understand what's going on here, but I'm going to praise you and I'm going to live for you. And you do that, not in a way like you're preachy, but he's like, that's how I live my life. People notice. What people have told me is like, I came to Jesus because you are real and you really hurt, but you really seem to follow Jesus even whenever things are rough. Then hallelujah. In other words, it ain't about me. It's about him. Are y'all getting anything out of what I'm telling you today? St. Francis said, preach at all times and when necessary, use words. 
I think we ought to actually quote Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 16. Make your light shine so that others will see the good that you do and will praise your Father in heaven. I've tried to say it to you like this in past times. is People may not always go, oh wow, you go to Rock Springs, that's awesome. And you're like, no, most of the time when you're not around, they're going, those are some of the oddest people I have ever met in my life. And the other part they say is, but the way that they live their life I really hope that my daughter grows up to marry one of their sons. I don't understand them because they're kind of weird, but I like the way they live. It's okay. I got to ask you, because I've been, like I said, trying to cut close to the bone. Is there anything about your life, anything that is so compelling or so appealing that others look at your life and they see the peace that you have in the midst of trouble, that they see your love even when people are coming unglued and you have every reason to like go off on them? Is there anything compelling in your life that makes them say, I want that? Not because you have it all together. But because mysteriously, at least to them, you have something or you have someone that holds you together. Because what I'm telling you, you need to be able to live it and be honest about it. Don't pretend, don't play church, don't play pretend Christian. When you live it, you will give it. Yeah. Let me give you some practical ideas on how to do that, okay? Here's how to communicate these kinds of things effectively. And the number one is be yourself. Now, that sounds um, oddly simple, but for some people it gets so difficult. And here's what I've also found in being super churched and all that other stuff. The longer you're a believer, the less you think like an unbeliever. Hopefully. <laughs> Unless you intentionally cultivate relationships with people who are unbelievers so that you don't lose touch with how they're having to struggle. And then you reflect back and go, yep, I remember what that was like. It is possible to live in both those worlds. You don't have to do what they do. But don't lose track of what it's like to live in a world without Jesus. The moment that you think that you have got a lock on this whole thing of following Jesus and the whole faith thing, oh man, you are dead in the water. That's what causes church people to start to act so arrogant that people who are not at church go, I do not like being around them. And you are not, I'm just telling you, you do not have a lock on it. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize you need him. The more he reveals to you the stuff you couldn't see years ago. (laughs) Come follow Jesus. It's going to be great. It is. It is. But I'm just telling you, it is painful. That's why if you are far enough along and you think you've got a lock on it, when you start to struggle in some area, it confuses you. And that's what causes you to pretend. And if you get enough of those people circled up, that's what an unhealthy church is. And it's a house of cards. That's why churches that start to think this way, when someone comes in with a difficulty of I'm suffering and I don't know what to do with it, or I'm coping by alcohol, or I'm coping by relationships, or I'm coping by this other stuff, and you try to get real, those people will say, you do not belong here. Because the moment you start getting real, then they have to get real and they don't want to because they're afraid. Because if they prove to someone else they don't have it all together, then the house of cards falls apart. That's why I tell you, and I do it lovingly, 
all of us, including you, we are a colossal collection of moral fallops. And if you're screwed up, you will fit in so good here. 2 Corinthians 5.17 It is true, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. But the point of what he's saying there in context is you are in process of becoming like Jesus Christ. A lot of you think you are Jesus Christ, but you're not. Be as mature as you are, but never ever drift from the things that you did at first. You have to surrender to God, which is why I say go back to the first episode of this series. And that is stay in, con you know, in connection with God. Carry the faith that you have in Him with you everywhere you go. Here's another thing you need to uh, can, uh, uh, more effectively communicate. And that is be listening. Be authentic. Be real. Be yourself, but be listening. There is a reason why God gave you two ears and one mouth. Okay? Two ears, one mouth. Listen twice as much as you speak. And speaking also involves your thumbs or your fingers. I'm going to do this series about what would Jesus post. Because some of you need to get your hands and your thumbs under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> You need some guidelines and guardrails, and I'm about to bring them. Back to the, the matter at hand. You want to communicate more effectively? Then stop talking. Stop trying to express what you're thinking. Be listening. Because when you talk or you're typing, you are operating under your agenda. But when you listen, they're literally handing you a roadmap to their life. When you listen to other people, you are hearing their agenda. What you're looking for in those times, whether you're reading it or you're hearing people tell it to you, you're looking for the intersection between where they're at and where Jesus has brought you. You are not trying to straighten them out like a piece of wire. That is not your calling. But you are to be salt and light so that their roadmap, they can get on the road back home. To the road back to God. On the road that you have already found. You are nothing more than a hungry beggar who found food. Who's trying to help other hungry beggars find the food. You are looking at their life and saying, God, what can I do to bring their life and your truth together? Here, listen to this. Stop. Looking for ways to give people a piece of your mind. Listen and look for ways to give them a piece of your heart. You can tweet that. You can tweet that. That's less than 144 characters. Sorry, X, formerly known as Twitter. It doesn't matter. Just get the word out, people. Some of you think that you're such a rebel. Well, if you're a rebel, do what everybody else, do the opposite of what everybody else is doing, and that is just shut up and listen. Listen for the needs in other people's lives. Pull others together to go and meet that need. I know groups in this church that get together to follow Jesus, but then they also know of needs, and they rush to meet those needs. And you know what? They never post it. On the internet, they just go and do it. They become the hands and feet of Jesus. 
because they're really not given any thought of what they're going to get out of it. I'm just saying, if you practice that kind of life, you will be so radically different. It's going to change people heart by heart, life by life. If we love like that all the time, we're going to have to lock the doors to keep people out. Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith in Jesus expressing itself through love. Got to hurry. Be yourself. Be listening. Be assured. Be assured. That doesn't mean be arrogant. doesn't mean stretch your stuff. But it does mean this. If you trust the God who said, I will forgive you of all your sin, give you a purpose for living each and every day, and I promise you that you and I will be together face to face, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. If you believe that, and you trust in him, be assured that he is going to use you to make a difference. Don't be afraid. Will people make fun? Some. Most of the time that's because they don't know what else to do. But if their opinion of you is way down here, but God's opinion of you is here, why are you afraid of this? Why are you afraid of this? You and I get to play on God's team. We get to be a part of making the world a better place. (laughs) It just blows my mind. Sobering fact that Jesus pointed out is that every day you're either pushing people away or you're drawing people closer to him. Do everything you can to pull people closer. You going to make mistakes? Absolutely. Here's what I would tell you. Go make some new mistakes today. And once you figure out they're a mistake, learn from it. And do not make that mistake again. Go out tomorrow and make a whole new set. Okay? First Thessalonians says, and now the word of the Lord. This is, this is how Paul talked to his friends in, in <clears throat> a part of Greece. He said, and now the word of the Lord in your area is ringing out from you to people everywhere. In other words, you've been living for Christ and your reputation uh, about being a follower of Jesus Christ, it has preceded you. And he says, wherever you go, we find, wherever we go, because he was still traveling around planting churches and stuff. He said, wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. In other words, y'all already beat us to it. Good job. Way to go. Same verse. This is message paraphrase. He says, the news of your faith in God is out. It is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore because, Lord, as I say, say it with me. You're the message. It's been used in sports. It's been used in church. It originated in church. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You are the message. So, if you think about it, If this represents our relationship in God because of what Jesus did and we can carry it with us, we actually have the cure for the most devastating thing that human beings have to face and that is an eternal separation from God. You have the cure. So you have the opportunity to spend your daylight hours not leaving this in the car, not leaving it at home, taking it with you, trying to figure out how do you integrate it without being annoying, but actually being attractive, walking his walk, talking his talk, still doing the best job at whatever it is you do, changing the oil, teaching computers, repairing freezers, whatever it is you do, can you do it to the glory of God? Or we have the choice to compartmentalize it and say, no, that's okay. God, you stay over there. Jesus, you stay in the backpack, and I'll come and get you when I need you. 
Don't let your faith just come out when it's convenient. Live your faith all the time, everywhere. It's, it, it's the same thing as giving of, of money. And like I told you at the beginning of the service, I don't back down from saying you ought to give God your tithe, your first and best. But you ought to tithe your life too. I wrote it in my notes, on the way out of the building, people are going to pass by the giving robot and they can't get in it. Because the slot's only this big. But they can offer their lives to God each and every day when they step out of the house. I want God's blessings on my life and I want God's blessings on your life. So in the course of my day, I hope you'll join me. I'm going to shout it. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to hide it. I'm going to say it. And then I'm going to live it. I'm going to give it. I'm going to say it. I'm spray it. Mm. And I'm just telling you, I love you so much, I'm daring you to do that exact same thing. You need to get blessed. That's what I say. Get it? Good. Let's pray. God, in order to pull this off, we're going to have to have your help. There is no way around it. This is not about trying harder. This is about being more surrendered to your love. We want to be people who follow you every single day, all day long. We want to live it. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Thank you for forgiving us even when we don't do the right thing. And may we become people who actually live it and share it each and every day, all the time, everywhere. Lord, you know my heart uh, and how I've prepared for this message. I've been praying that you would do a great work in someone's life in that They've been standing on the edge of the ledge of even believing that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you said you will do. But they believe in it now. Would you welcome them into your family? Give them the courage to leap off of that ledge into your arms so that they can have all the sin in the past forgiven, that they can have a purpose and a reason for living every day and they can live an eternal life that begins today. Lord, help us take care of one another. Spurring one another on to the next best step of following you in faith. God, show us who you are, how we're to live for you, and may we give you the honor and glory when we do. And I pray it in Jesus' name.